0: We continue our summer study of Proverbs today. Please follow along in your bulletin as we share these verses. In Proverbs 10.4, we find this. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. In Proverbs six nine eleven, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And in Proverbs 12:11 it is written, Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense.
1: This is the reading of God's word.
2: Good morning, Watermark. You all hear me? Okay. Uh, As you may have noticed, we have a couple of friends with us this morning. Um, So if you have not met anyone from the English Language Institute, then make sure uh, you'll meet someone afterwards for coffee or just hear their stories. Uh, We're hosting this program the second time uh, with Watermark, and uh, the students will be teaching in local middle schools. And uh, it's just really exciting to, to have you guys here and just see the energy of yeah, There's people coming all across the world and uh, yeah, just serving here in Hong Kong. So a big thank you for you guys raising support and following God's calling and just hope that you guys will also yeah, just see what God is doing and the glimpse of, uh, of Asia and hopefully many will return to serve uh, full-time and long-term. So yeah, you can, can give him a hand and just thank him for coming and serving with us. <clears throat> Uh, here at Watermark, we just uh, started a new sermon series. Uh, We're on a journey on, uh, on the book of Proverbs and exploring a little bit more on that book. In our message last week, I mentioned that, that um, most of our teaching, um, we, we want actually to happen in community groups. So I want to emphasize that again, that uh, don't just uh, come on Sundays, but really try to get involved in community and uh, join a community group uh, to really go deeper in, in what we are doing here. But I also learned something last week that most of the community groups are on summer break. So uh, there are two things that I want to highlight again. So first of all, even though the community groups are on a summer break, we still encourage you guys to get plugged in. Uh, so contact us or talk to us afterwards at the, in the foyer if you are not a part of a community group yet. And then maybe you have a chance to meet a community group leader over dinner and just get to know someone before the groups kick off again. Uh, the second thing is there, there's a study guide uh, outside in the foyer, um, a study guide to the to the sermon series. So, if you want, just pick one up, and you may be able to just you know, read through it on your own, or you just think about um, a little bit about it. The, the the verses of today on there, but also some questions to uh, to think about. And so maybe you actually want to sit down with your family and discuss some things uh, as as a family together as well, or just meet a friend over lunch or coffee. Uh, so let me give you a quick recap of last week, because a lot of people haven't been here last week. So uh, we're talking about Proverbs, and one of the things we talked about is the wisdom that is found in Proverbs. Uh, but we did qualify that the wisdom found in Proverbs is not a formula, not like a one-to-one thing to apply to life, but we do need to understand the context, the people that, that we want to apply these Proverbs to, the, the uh, circumstances and then also we, we looked into the danger of applying Proverbs, that when we take a proverb out of context, that it may just throw us off. And uh, instead of actually consulting God through his scripture, we are starting to just apply human wisdom to life situations uh, however we want. And so the third thing that we establish is, in order to avoid that danger, we need to have a kingdom perspective. We need to have a, have a good picture of what the kingdom of God is like and what Christ is like in order to really uh, interpret the scripture correctly. Let me me look a a little bit more into what it means to have a kingdom perspective. Like, what what do I mean by that term? The Christian message is basically the message of God's reign, of, of God's story unfolding of God's kingdom. All of history is that story that unfolds. In the beginning, God created a complete kingdom. Everything in that kingdom was good. The relationships were right, um, uh, the, the relationships among people were right, relationships with God were right, but if you look around what is happening in this world right now, it's pretty obvious that that's not the case anymore. A lot of things in this world are broken, and we see relationships broken, but we also see that our culture our societies are dysfunctional. Uh, we see that our physical bodies and our, our emotions are damaged. So we see that this complete kingdom that was good, something has happened that is broken. But the brokenness that we're experiencing right now is not the end of the story as well. As we continue uh, to look at the story uh, of history that that God has taken us on, uh, God didn't leave it there, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stepped into the world. God became man, stepped into human history to redeem a broken world. So as Jesus steps in, Uh, he gives us a a glimpse, a picture of of that kingdom that one day will be restored, a future perspective that we can hold on to to actually see where God is guiding us. So here we see the starting point of interpreting Proverbs from that kingdom perspective, that that kingdom that is restored, that is not broken anymore. And and the clearest um, part of that vision is Jesus' death and resurrection. On the cross, we see the forgiveness and the grace of, of, of Christ, of God, about our shortcomings. And in his resurrection, we see hope. We see, see hope about the kingdom that one day will be restored. Um, so the story of, um, of his kingdom is about that whole journey of, of the kingdom that, that once was and is now broken, and it will be restored and be made whole And in in Christ's death and resurrection, we see that that story unfolding. So in our sermon series, we we are on a journey to see, so what do the Proverbs tell us about that story? How do the Proverbs point us uh, in a vision of that kingdom that is to come to interpret the Proverbs correctly? And today, we are picking a specific topic that the Proverbs talk a, um, um, a lot about, and that is the topic of wealth. Now, What what does the Proverbs teach us on wealth? Like we are in a city that that deals with wealth a lot. So I'm thinking about coming to Hong Kong for the first time and stepping off the plane. And Many of you have done that about a week and a half ago or probably just like Saturday or Sunday when you arrived. You get off the plane and especially when it's night, it's pretty stunning to get off the plane and you see the skyline for the first time. Uh, or you see the energy of the city. You guys have been out in Lantau, if you're here with the L I C, but um, when you step into the city, there's this energy about Hong Kong that just really uh, captures you, and, and you see the diversity of, of Hong Kong. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, we came back from a vacation in, uh, in Germany, and as when we stepped back from, off the plane, and we drove down my taxi, we saw the skyline, uh, it, that excitement came back. The excitement that I had seven years ago when I first stepped on the plane, when I when I first moved to Hong Kong, not that Europe isn't isn't great, um, but there's something about Hong Kong that captivates me. The city is buzzing around the clock. Uh, the, the a few days ago, I actually went down to the waterfront, and and I was just uh, sitting there and I was uh, thinking and praying about uh, just the sermon and, and just what, what's happening in life. And I was seeing the the offices lit, and it was 11 p.m. at night, like all across there were offices, and and people were working there. And and I was starting to wonder about the lives of the people that are in these offices at that moment. A lot of people here are working really long hours, uh, especially uh, after coming back from Germany. That that really struck me. I mean, Germans are known for being hard workers, but to be honest, uh, we like to relax at least as much. Uh, we actually have a term in German which is called Gemütlichkeit. You know, like all German words are very, very long. Gemütlichkeit basically means to do nothing. <laughs> uh, uh, it actually, uh, it's kind of like being in a state of relaxation. Um, we sit in the sun when we have a day of Gemütlichkeit and we maybe do doing a little bit of barbecuing and a little bit of cake eating and a little bit of talking, but mostly we do nothing. Uh, we have uh, two friends of ours here from the church that just moved to Germany two months ago, Angelo and Phoenix, and uh, if you are, have been in Watermark for a while, you probably have seen him around serving a lot. So they moved back, and, and Phoenix is from Hong Kong, but Angelo is from Germany. And we met, met up with them while we were uh, back in Germany. And it was very interesting, like, when, when I saw them uh, again, and, and I was thinking how is Phoenix adjusting to German Gemütlichkeit? Like, tell a Hong Kong person to do nothing for a whole day and just sit in the sun. Like, I think the person goes crazy. So I just wondered how Phoenix was doing with all that. Germany must be a culture shock for a Hong Kong p- person in seeing the pace of life in this city. The Proverbs that we read, uh, they praise hard work. And they criticize laziness. And As a German, I may have to look at it and then try to justify, oh, you know, it's just, you know, we want to rest so that we can work more efficiently afterwards. But uh, the reality is, uh, I couldn't say that with clear conscience. Um, the Proverbs, so as, as you look at them, you see that they, they talk about how hard work leads to wealth, that wealth is a positive attribute, wealth is good, and pos- poverty will strike the lazy. And that we should not just dream all day, but actually get things done and do work. So just listen to that first proverb in your bulletin. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. With that said, let me tell you that I'm concerned when I think about what this proverb does in our context. When we take it as a formula and apply it to Hong Kong life. Um, Looking at the current situation in Europe and some European countries, I think maybe we have to quote him to some of our countries over there, but we are in Hong Kong, and we want to look at what the proverb means for us here in the context that we live in. When I watch people live their lives, I can see the extremes unfolding. I can, I can see that it may not be laziness that we struggle here with, but the value we put in work and wealth. The values that are meant to be good, but actually they turn somehow into something negative, uh, when, when I see people working long hours and how it starts to affect their families, how everything begins to revolve around gathering material possession. Um, over the last six, seven years that I've been working with college students, um, just had a reoccurring conversation. Many talked about the pressure and, and the competition they are facing and, uh, and, and how they deal with that pressure. Uh, I've seen others that were broken, um, students and uh, high school kids that are broken uh, in just that feeling of loneliness and a, and a lack of self-esteem, uh, thinking that the only value they get if they perform right and if they do everything right, that society and maybe sometimes even their families uh, expect from them. And, and So I see that and that constant fear of falling short of expectations and having to perform. I have had conversations about suicide, that it's actually even better to not even be here and be gone than living up to the expectation that it's less of a shame if they be gone than failing in that. I mean, this is not just an extreme scenario. This is a constant conversation I have on the campus. So when I read the Proverbs and I hear about hard work, I see the positive value in it and how in the scripture we see that value praised. But immediately see, I see that tension, the danger that we apply this proverb as a formula. Seeing the context in Hong Kong, I think we could ju- justify anything. Our society, everyone else works hard. And even the Bible tells you that you need to work hard and gain wealth. So what is God saying about how we should apply that proverb uh, we want to go on the journey today, but before we do that, we just want to be able to, to rest and breathe and, and gain that kingdom perspective again. We want to take a few minutes to just continue worship and to, for you to allow to, to see where are you with that. What are the stories in your life? What are the stories in the lives of your families? Do you live a healthy rhythm? What extreme do you fall on in that proverb?
3: In Proverbs three nine to ten, we find this: Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with the new wine. In Proverbs eleven twenty eight, those who trust in riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Proverbs 15.16 Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth and ter- with turmoil. Proverbs 15.17 Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. In Proverbs 16.19 it is written Better to be lonely lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. And in Proverbs 19:22, it says, What a person desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. This is the reading of God's
2: word. Uh, last week, we talked about a metaphor for, for the kingdom of God. Um, it is like a rug, and you see the, the pictures up here. It's like a rug. On, on one side, you see the back side, and, and it's broken, and the colors are not very clear. And you see the knots and the threads dangling down. Maybe the rug is not completed and, and you don't even know like, what the picture will one day be. And, and so we look at the world and, and from our perspective and we can't see the kingdom. And, and for us, the suffering around us doesn't make sense and different things that happen around us, they don't make sense in light of, of where we are right now and what we are able to see of the kingdom. But for God, here's the other perspective. Uh, God sees the, the beauty the of his redeemed creation. He sees the beautiful picture of how he made everything and how he intended things to be and and what he is moving things towards. So we need a glimpse of, of the kingdom, of of that picture, of the perspective that God has uh, in order to make sense of this broken world all around us. And when it comes to, to wealth, uh, this is one of the big topics in the city. And we can so easily lo- lose perspective. We can so easily lose God's uh, perspective on, on that issue. And Jesus consistently talks about material possession more than pretty much anything else because he knows that it's something we struggle with. It so easily can turn into our idol, into our God, and, and we can so easily uh, lose that perspective. The world instills us in, in, in us that, that value of how important wealth is and how it's important to, to gather stuff. Uh, even religion uh, is so often used in that same way. Like in the city you may have temples and fortune tellers and so at the beginning of the year people may go there and make sure that maybe I'll pay a few dollars and make sure that I know what I need to do so that my business will be successful, that I will be prosperous this year. But it's even a danger to look at the church in that way. Uh, what, uh, there's something we call the prosperity gospel. That, that the message uh, is that God just wants us to be, be wealthy and healthy. And we see that scripture in 3, 9 to 10 that so easily can be looked at that. Uh, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits all of all your crops, and then we may only focus on then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vets will brim over with new wine. It's like this magic formula. If I'm just you know honoring with like a little bit of my money, then, then I'll be a millionaire in a heartbeat. It's like the slot machine. I put one, one coin in and I just know, need to know the formula and then all the coins will come down. And... Um, we look at a proverb and and we want to interpret it in that way because that's kind of like what the world tells us how we should look at the world. So we want to go on that journey on like looking at a few proverbs that uh, give us a bit more whole, a a more wider perspective on wealth. So we have established wealth is good, hard work is good, but there are certain values, certain perspectives of the kingdom that stand in relationship. It's not um, a separate attribute that we can wealth... Uh, can take wealth and separate it from everything else. So we will be going through five proverbs that, that will show us um, about that a little bit. I want to give you one example that uh, grows out of our, our team experience here with our Watermax staff. Um, there's a good friend of ours, Lincoln Liu, that, uh, that, that does personality um, assessment exams with us. And so he did that with the whole staff. And one thing we found out of like 20 people, there are like 16, 70 people that are blue. Now, what does blue mean? So what it means to be blue is that we are visionaries and dreamers and future-oriented people. Now, that in itself is not not surprising. We are a church plant, so a new church that only has been here for a year and a half. So we've attracted people that didn't just want to keep the status quo, but we wanted to venture out and do something new and change the community around us. And so a lot of visionaries got together and said, yeah, we want want to dream something new. Now the value of, of dreaming something new and, and being future oriented, I think it's a great value. But what if we would not have Millen and, and Sylvie? That they, they are not like so highly blue. Um, they are more the doers. They are the ones that will say, hey, you know, it's great that you're dreaming, but we need to get something done. Like we can we can talk about planting a church for years, but we need to figure out like, how to do tech, and how to set it up, and how to invite people, and, and what we do once they get there, and what discipleship program do we do, and, and all these questions that the dreamers never get to. So what you see, the value of, of dreaming is, is, is good, but if it doesn't love for anything else, suddenly you take away from the richness of the value. So here we see that wealth in itself is described as something good, but what can happen for wealth to, to be taken out of perspective and losing what it was meant to be, a blessing? So the first uh, proverb that, uh, that, is, uh, that I want to go into from the bulletin is uh, Proverb fifteen seventeen. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred A few weeks ago, I, I met uh, for a discipleship meeting with one of the mainland students that I met about three years ago uh, He became a Christian here while studying in Hong Kong and after his graduation, his dad helped him to get a job in the finance sector Now that he has been in that sector working for a while, he starts to realize, ah, I'm not really the kind of person that should necessarily do this kind of job, and it's not really what I expected to do. And so he shared that with his father, and his father got furious. He basically threatened him, if you quit this job, you never call me again, you don't even my son anymore. Now, to see the dimensions of what was happening there, uh, the father used his relationships to, to get him into that job, But he also made very clear that I'm investing in you. I've invested in your education. I'm investing into you having this job. And I'm expecting a return of my investment. And if you're trying to step out of this, then I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're losing your value to me. What I see there is that the proverb highlights that we have been reading that in in the God's kingdom, the value of relationship matters a lot. And it is valued more than just having wealth. Rather live a little, but in loving relationships. That's been pretty much what the, the proverb says. I've seen that many times and how relationships are endangered and break apart because of money issues. Just think about inheritance. How many people here, here today have either in their own family or in their friendship circle seen relationships being uh, Challenge or breaking apart. People never talking to you because of an inheritance. It's money people didn't even work for. But the jealousy creeps in that you want to have that and, and the money will destroy relationships. So are relationships in our lives in danger because of money issues? Has there ever been a relationship that has fallen uh, fallen out of your life because of Money involved and, and wealth. So we see the value of relationships standing in that tension uh, with the value of wealth. Now let's look at the, the second proverb uh, that, that challenges that absolute value of wealth. It's 1619. There it says, Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. It's not a secret that, that money is a huge status symbol in the city. Uh, author Henry Nouwen writes that uh, the world tells us that our identity is found in what we do, and what we have, and what people think about us. So your identity is found in the things you do, the things you have, and what people say about you. Now We can transfer that to Hong Kong, and it's pretty obvious that we find value in where we live, and which, which part of town we live and. Uh, what kind of flat we have, the the titles on our name card, the clothes we're wearing or the club we go to. Uh, We may say, it doesn't really matter to me, like it doesn't really add so much value, but I think we are walking sometimes on a very fine line that that pride, the idol of pride can creep in and take over our lives and we don't even notice it. As a church, we are located next to the Bel Airs. It's a a place of prestige. Um, Just the setup of our congregation being an international church, it's already obvious that we are a part of the higher classes of society. And pr- many of us pretty, have a pretty impressive name card, probably. So we look at that and we see we, we are challenged with does that wealth that, that, that we may have. Does it challenge us in, in our kingdom attitude? And I think that it's such a danger to just be, become prideful in that um, I have a couple of questions that we could ask uh, ourselves and see, like, does it apply to me? And uh, one would be, think of the story of the rich, uh, rich young ruler. And he is asked to leave everything behind. So if someone would come to you and get rid of all your wealth tomorrow, do you feel that your identity would get lost in that? Or have you had nothing on your name card? And every time you would pass your name card, you would just have your name And like like a a nun, like entitled or something like that, you pose it on, would you be embarrassed? How would you feel about passing that name card around in in your job situation? Like would you struggle with kind of like feeling worthless and having nothing to offer? Or just think about who are the people that you spent time with last week last month? Was there anyone that you spent time with really getting to know a person that had nothing to offer to you? Humility grows out of that awareness that everything comes from God. If we admit all the things we have, we are the stewards. We're not the owners. We realize it is God who is the maker of everything. And I think this, this puts back into perspective uh, that the, the wealth and, and uh, made, yeah, may challenge us in our pride. Uh, the third proverb in the list contrasts an honest character with wealth. Uh, on a wider cope, uh, scope, um, our, our character in general. That for the kingdom, character matters more than the wealth we accumulate. The Proverbs reads in 1922 what a person desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than to be a liar. After working in a, in a German private bank, uh, I entered an elite business school in Germany. I had just become a Christian and so, I entered that school, and there were about 300 students. The reputation of that school was to kind of be the outstanding school uh, to shape the future business leaders of Germany. Almost every one of my classmates uh, came from a high class, uh, either uh, business or company owners, uh, high politicians. And thinking back at that time, I have to say it was probably one of the worst environments for my character formation that I've ever been in my life. I could tell you a lot of stories about why, why that's true, but there's one story, uh, story that uh, kind of like struck me and that, uh, stuck with me over the years. And so, that One of the students was the son of one of the European uh, national coaches for football. He spoke barely any English or German. It was pretty obvious that he would probably not pass any exams, and that he was accepted to the school was kind of strange. But when exams periods come his dad would come flying in, he would meet with the dean of the school, and his son would pass another semester. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that's what wealth can do. But when I thought about that, and uh, I was in that school, and I saw these things happening around me, I asked myself, just having become a Christian, what does it do to my character? I just couldn't stay. I actually left the school and transferred to uh, a school in the U.K., um, because I was concerned about my character uh, transformation, formation. And, um, so I'm, I'm looking at, at the story, and I'm asking myself, like, what is the kind of DNA that the people around me rub on me, the environments that I, I step into? When I, when I look at the people that surround myself, the mentors that I allow to speak into my lives, the job environments, the family environment. What is the kind of DNA that, that, rubs, that, that all this rubs on you? So how in all that can we make sure that somehow that kingdom DNA is rubbed on us more than anything else? How is the kingdom rubbing his, its DNA? How is Christ rubbing his DNA more on us than the world? I'm not saying that you should do what the disciples did 2,000 years ago. Uh, basically what they did, did in order to secure that is they left their lives, they left their families, they joined Jesus, and for 24-7, for the next three years, they would live and breathe and eat and learn everything he had to say. Now, some of us may have to do something like that, but in general, that's, I don't don't think, the point. Uh, The point is to evaluate our lives. Like, one of the values that we have emphasized over and over again in our churches uh, to be a part of a community group. And why is that the case? Because we feel that Two hours on Sunday morning, competing with 50 hours of family lives, 100 hours of work and the values that we hear there, will it really be the right DNA? So how can we ensure that we have that DNA of Christ alive in us most of our week? Uh, hopefully in our community groups, the conversation uh, will be there that, that encourage ourselves to, to question how, how do we live out uh, the life of Christ? Hopefully these conversations will happen in our family, in the table around with our kids, that we see the DNA being alive in our families, but also that we need to be ready to go into our jobs and, and live out the kingdom values in our jobs. When I think back at that, that time in the business school, I wonder whether today I would make a different choice. Like uh, Almost 11 years ago when I, when I left, I don't think I was ready to have my DNA rub on that school. But maybe that's the choice that I would make today, seeing that we are called to step into the dark places of this world and allowing to Christ be rubbed on to the world. But we need to be ready for this. So maybe some questions that we need to ask ourselves is, what are the parts in your life that rub the kingdom DNA on you? Where Christ grows in you, where you decrease, but Christ increases What are the aspects of your life that draw you away from that kingdom DNA? How does the pursuit of wealth impact your character and the DNA that you breathe and live by? Now, the the next uh, proverb confronts the the value of wealth on a, I think, even even deeper level. Um, Again, let me let me say, wealth itself is not the problem; it's a positive attribute. But the Proverbs show us the danger if wealth becomes more important than other values or they are taken out of that relationship with other values. So here, for the fourth proverb, 11.28 says, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So here, righteousness makes us blossom and bloom, but putting our trust in wealth makes us fall. So what's righteousness? Righteousness is an attribute that implies that a person... Is living a life that's pleasing to God? Oh, so do I? Do I live a life pleasing to God? Uh, I grew up in a pretty secular society, so when I think about the question, "Did I live a life pleasing to God?" Um, I would say, oh, well, "Oh, we are pretty good people. Like I don't hurt anyone. Um, I do my job. I pay my tax. I don't break the law. I even give to some charities. I help some neighbors. Must be a life that's pretty pleasing to God." But I think what we need to look at again is a kingdom perspective. So what does the scripture say when we look at uh, what the term righteousness really means? So in Romans 4, 4 to 5, this is not a new bulletin, but you can just listen. I'm using this one from the message paraphrase. And it's really interesting. So here righteousness is described as the following. If you are a hard worker and you do a good job, then you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do and you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself no matter how hard and how long you worked. Well, that trusting in him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God, sheer gift. Now Let me read that again. So if, if you are a hard worker and you do a good job and you deserve your pay and that's not a gift, but if you see that this job that you're doing is too big for you to do, that it's only something that God can do and you... You have to trust him to do it. You could never do it yourself, no matter how hard or long you worked. Well, that trusting in him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God, sheer gift. So the job for us to become righteous is too big for us to do. Like no matter how hard we work, no matter what, whatever we do, we cannot get by our strengths right with God. God is perfect and holy. Who could ever say that I have lived my my day holy and perfect. So we fall short of what God created us to be. Uh, So this job of leading a God-honoring life is too big for for us. We wrestle with pride, we wrestle with arrogance, we wrestle with our self-centeredness, but God's grace has made a way for us, for our lives, to be counted righteous by faith. By faith in the work of the cross and what Christ has done, In him coming to save us from a broken world, from our own brokenness, he sets us right in Jesus Christ, not by our works, but as a gift. Now we look at that and we realize wealth loses its positive attribute when it draws us away from the saving love of God. When wealth gives us the the feeling of, I can save myself. I I, I can give so much to charity that I can be counted good. If by our wealth we we get that feeling that we can achieve righteousness, we lose sight of his truth. So the question would be, have you acknowledged that need that Christ and his work on the cross will set you right and you can't do it by your wealth? In our final proverb, we see one more element of of how a positive attribute, the positive attribute of wealth, can quickly fade. Uh, In Proverbs 15, 16, it says, better a little with the fear of the Lord, then great wealth with, with turmoil. Uh, sometimes when I, when I ask, uh, uh, when, or when people ask me about, about faith and uh, about becoming Christians, they say, you know, Christianity is something for pretty weak people. Like, they go through like struggles and problems and uh, maybe they get ill or relationships fall apart. Uh, they lose their jobs and then they need something to hold on to. So then they hold on to God. Now, when you are, if you are here today and you think that, you think holding on to God often happens when, when people uh, in their lives are out of control, then I would say, you're right. It's the point when we realize that we are actually not in control of our lives, that we sometimes only then get the realization that we are in need of God. Wealth can give you the illusion that you can control your life. If you are wealthy and you can... You don't have to worry about paying your bills next week and uh, where to live in Hong Kong. Rent is so ridiculous, but it, if you don't have to worry about that so much, you say, "Okay, you know, even if I, you know, lose my home, like I, I'll rent something else because I have enough money. Um, I can buy myself a sense of security. I can eat whatever I want, can go out. I don't need to worry about that. Wealth allows me to travel wherever I want. I mean, feel like even I'm in control of, you know, this world, and I can go wherever, wherever, wherever I want. And if I get sick, I can." pay for the best medical treatment. And suddenly we realize that all this wealth can give us the illusion that we are in control of life. But what if all that falls apart? What if suddenly a cancer diagnosis comes and it says there's no cure? What if in all your wealth and in your hard work you see that there are no friends left or your marriage falls apart. And by your strength and by your money, you can save it. What if the world economy falls apart and it's out of your control? Like Katie and I have this funny conversation uh, about the piece of land that my family owns back in Germany after the Second World War. there They had to move and uh, flee from where they lived and they settled in central Germany and they started a farm uh, up there and uh, rebuilt their lives. So now that the European Union is falling apart, I joke with her, like, what if the whole world economy, like, just crashes? Um, And then I I tell her, we'll just move to Germany, and we will be potato farmers, and we will live there happily on our little farm, and we will tell all our neighbors about how great Jesus is, and that one day there's this world coming, that everything will be made new. The conversation is 99% joke, But I think there's a little bit of a reality check in it. The reality check of saying that we don't want to take everything for granted. Just because we may be in a place right now where you can do what you want and you may have wealth and you have a sense of security, that we don't take for granted that sense of security, it turning into a feeling that I am in control of of my life. Ultimately, what helps us is to have that perspective of that kingdom that this world is broken and will be broken, but it's being restored, and one day when Christ comes back, we will see it in its full glory. It's that fear of the Lord that this proverb talks about that I think gives us a healthy attitude towards our wealth. It gives us the healthy attitude toward uh, being in control or not. So our wealth can give us that illusion that we have nothing to fear. But if we lose the fear of the Lord... And his kingdom to come and his holiness, then we lose everything. Maybe tonight, on your own, in your family, think about it. Think about what would happen if the whole world economy falls apart. What would you do? What are the fears that grow in you? How would you respond to these fears as an individual, as a family? How would we respond as a community to be a light of the world to the people around us? How would you point in the turmoil of your life, how would you point people to the kingdom and have peace about it? Before we go into the final part of the message and just in the conclusion, we want to take a few moments just to really have some people pray um, over these values that we can really see and reflect like what God says and puts on our heart uh, about this.
4: All right, uh, let us pray. Um, Father, we uh, just lift to you our relationships, Lord. Um, we know you put so much value in our relationships, and uh, they're just so important to us and to you, and I pray that um, we will just live uh, with others in ways that honor you, Father, and uh, pray that our relationships will not be destroyed by money and that uh, you will help us to keep our priorities right, Lord.
0: Father, I pray that you will keep us humble. Um, help us not to find our identity in the things that um, that we build for ourselves on this earth, uh, that we wouldn't find um, our pride in our possessions or the, um, the kingdom on earth that we've built for ourselves, but that we will keep your kingdom in mind for us and that we will live our lives um, with an eternal mindset, Lord, that this life is not all that there is and Pray that we would find our worth in you, Lord, and and in um, the ways that you view us, Lord, and how you love us and and take care of us, and that that would um, that would keep us obedient to you, Lord.
1: Abba, Father, when your beloved Son came down and dwelt in our midst, He chose a life of humility. His wealth was not in material possessions, but rather in His complete obedience to you and his love and compassion for our people. Help us to emulate Christ and develop a character like his. In a place like Hong Kong, free us from the desire for wealth, fame and power, especially when it's derived from greed, deception or taking advantage of others. Let not the pursuit of wealth damage our character, nor take us away from our focus on you and your saving grace.
4: Father, we uh, we lift our desire to be righteous to you, Lord. Um, we know that uh, we can do nothing with our own two hands to uh, achieve our salvation, so we just rely on our faith in you and pray that you will increase that faith daily. Um, just draw us close to you and let our joy be in you and you alone and uh, not in what we do with our own hands, Lord.
0: Father, I pray you would help us to continue to see just how holy you are, Lord, and um And in light of your holiness, that we could see ourselves and just our sinful nature, Lord. And I pray that that would lead us to be, um, to live lives of thankfulness for your grace. uh, That we don't deserve uh, a relationship with you, Lord, but that you seek us out and and you desire that relationship with us. And I pray that we would just um, be mindful of everything that we have and everything that you've given to us. That it it is all from you, Lord, and that we would just... um, we would know in our hearts that we can't outgive you. Just help us to live lives of, of um, compassion for others, and just knowing that, that no matter what uh, we go through, whether we are given things or things are taken away from us, Lord, that that's what's most important is you and living for your glory and um, just living out the will that you have for us in this life. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: And uh, now we will have a scripture reading um, from Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off into the sky like an eagle.
0: Proverbs eleven four. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death.
1: Proverbs 22, 2, Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all.
4: Proverbs eight eighteen through 19 With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold, what I yield surpasses choice silver.
0: Proverbs thirty seven through 9 Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is this, Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This is the reading of God's word.
2: So as we conclude our, our teaching on wealth in the Proverbs, uh, let's just take uh, just a few minutes to, to paint that picture of that kingdom that is to come, uh, to know that if we need the right perspective, we need to have that, that glimpse uh, of the kingdom. In Matthew 6, Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom. Uh, in Acts 1, um, after the resurrection, uh, Jesus appears to his disciples and he spends 40 days with them and it says that he took the 40 days to instruct them about the kingdom of God. And then he leaves his Holy Spirit uh, to guide us to ultimately see what the kingdom of God is like and to see him drawing us towards that kingdom. A vision for, for, for that kingdom is like that compass, that it, it can draw us away from just relying on human wisdom and it actually gives us uh, a glimpse, uh, uh, a part of the revelation of, of Christ. It's like that image of the rug that, that we uh, looked at. Um, God sees the, the beautiful side of that kingdom uh, he sees what, what the vision is like for where our lives are, uh, is already moving. But we are stuck in the other side and it's kind of like he's like shaking us and trying to wake us up from a life that can't see the beauty that's still to come. When I think about like what, what God's thoughts are as he shakes us out of, of our lives, it's like how can you let money destroy a relationship how can you compromise your integrity just to accumulate more stuff? How can you let your character be destroyed? How can you be caught up in, in that lie that your wealth can give you control of anything that matters in my kingdom? Uh, Proverbs 23, 4-5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, but, uh, for they will um, surely sprout wings and fly off uh, to the sky like an eagle." So we establish that wealth is good, hard work is good, but in light of God's eternal kingdom, it loses its value. Uh, we may live for 80 or maybe if you're lucky or unlucky, 100 years. Uh, in light of eternity, it's like glancing on it and it's gone. God's kingdom will last for eternity. And um, if you truly understood that, I think it would change our outlook on life, it would change what we do. Will we wear ourselves out to gain riches? Or are we even considering what it means to gain the riches that last for eternity? When my dad died um, two years before his retirement, I was 18, I worked through a lot of emotions about anger, uh, just missing out, I regretted that he spent countless hours building houses. I I know that he wanted to provide for us, but I felt that stuff is worthless to me now. So ask yourself, when you look back at your life, the the time that you spent, the stuff you accumulate, how foolish will you think your life looks? What do all the things matter for eternity that you accumulate? Proverbs 11.4 says... Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. All our wealth will not save us when this world comes to an end. Um, In my business studies, I learned that scarcity is the fundamental economic problem, the problem of having humans with unlimited wants, but a world with limited resources. But consider that vision of that kingdom of God where the Creator of everything rules in the gospel of John it says that there was a no, that there's nothing that was made without Jesus he was breathing everything into existence when we look at the kingdom that is to come and we think about being in the presence of the one who created everything the foundations of our economic thinking our economic system they just cease to exist what needs to drive us is not the stuff we accumulate but what we do with it to, look, to walk in righteousness and our attitude towards it. What saves us from, from death is our trust in Christ, uh, the one who conquered death, and who shows us that there is a kingdom to come in which time and resources are not limited, but they are eternal. Let me just close, and, and uh, maybe you want to use it as a prayer as well, with Proverbs 30, 7-9. Two things I ask of you, Lord: do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, otherwise, I may say I may have too much and disown you, and say, "Who is the Lord?" Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. God, we pray that um, just today is as we look at your word, that you will give us the right perspective, that you will help us see your, your kingdom more clearly. Uh, we thank you that you are a God that wants to bless us richly and that you say that hard work and, and wealth are good in your sight. While well, we pray that we would not make it our God and turn it into an idol that takes away from who you are, that we would not find a false sense of security and control in the things we own, but that we would use it to bless people around us, that we would see it as a blessing of you, knowing that we are just stewards of what you own. Father, first of all, we pray that we would realize that it's not by our hard work that we will gain the most important thing, and that is the righteousness in your, in your sight. They we would see that we need to rely on you and see your sacrifice on the cross and what you have done on the cross to save us from our brokenness. They we would come alive to you and look at your kingdom and let your kingdom inspire us in, in everything we do and say and how we live. And we pray this in Christ's name.